Conversations. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Med Conversations. We're spoiling you rotten at the moment with... Well, we actually haven't posted any of them, so I guess you're still <laughs> waiting for more podcasts, but we're, we've got a lot of podcasts in the pipeline. Although yeah. maybe by the time this is released, they'll have already been released, so maybe there'll be zero in the pipeline by then. I guess it's a mystery about how many podcasts you're going to get in the name of a while, but it's Rahul here, and I'm joined by the... Scott, so this is our first non-Darv Warren Beck episode. Yeah. Here we I, go. I'd really, in response, a lot of fans asking for us to cut out Darv Warren Beck, so we finally get mm. what you want. And, a few um, big protests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beck's very unpopular. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Being was a mistake. Now, now I feel bad. Beck's a lovely girl. Um, all right. We're going to have Scott leading us through one today about... Uh, HIV. So Scott, why don't you kick it off with the case? All right. So we've got John. He's a 55-year-old accountant. He's well known to your GP practice that you work in. He's very tidy. He's well-dressed. He collects postage stamps. He volunteers on charity walkathons, And he enjoys frequenting municipal libraries to research local history. His particular area of interest is the 1930s to 1940s pre-war Australian architecture in the inner east Melbourne area of Stonington. Very uh, interesting period. Do you have any interest in that area, Raul? Uh, primarily, all of my interest in my life is based around <laughs> that area. Everything else is just a delay until I can get back to another municipal museum to check out more 1930, 40 pre-war Australiana. Yeah, yeah, it's what my surprised, weekends are organised around. <laughs> surprised you didn't know that about me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just thought I'd finally ask. It's been sure, a bit awkward. Sure, I, I've I seen you <laughs> at some of the municipal museums wearing a moustache. Moustache. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, so we'll finish the case, and I promise this episode we'll try and stay serious. We really do uh, need Beck to keep us on track. Yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going to be stormy seas, but it should be interesting. All right, so you're a GP. You've been managing his mild hypertension for years, and you got to know him pretty well. Through this rapport, you've learnt about another side of John. John also takes pleasure in male saunas and involves and enjoys group sex activities with male and female partners during these events, which is fine, each to his own. So they allow females into male saunas, I guess? Mm, that's a that's a good question. Okay. I may have just revealed some fundamental ignorance of <laughs> my <laughs> knowledge about some of these events. Right. But anyway, John is very sexually experimental mm. and tries lots of different things. And um, he also has unprotected, insertive and receptive intercourse during these events. And John presents to you today with a fever, arthralgia, myalgia, cervical lymphadenopathy... And a very guilty smile about the unprotected fun he had a couple of months ago. Could this be HIV? Or are we just having you on? The title is a trick. Classic diversion tactic. Yeah. So now, um, biliary cirrhosis. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about HIV. So I did a bit of research on the epidemiology. So it was first recognized in 1981. And I mean, this is maybe a bit basic, but I think it probably is worth stating that it came across from mon- uh, monkeys and apes, not from any sexual encounters, but from eating bushmeat. I always thought it was the CIA. Um, so okay. Did they, yeah. Did they not invent it to oppress the black population? Oh, let's, put, let's put it in an asterisk there and say, like, <laughs> possible alternative. Yeah. <laughs> Further research required. But but interestingly, that was a lot of Ebola spread came in a similar way during the recent Ebola epidemic. Is that from what I remember? Um, yeah, anyway. it's pretty interesting. Mm. Um, For those of you who aren't aware, bushmeat is literally like dead animals that you find in the bush of random species and variety that is consumed pretty wholeheartedly in those and areas. Hunt them as well, yeah. yeah. All yeah. these different monkeys, poor things. Mm. So I guess in Australia, there's about 1,200 new cases per year and there's about 25,000 people living with HIV. And overall, about it's estimated about 10% of men who have sex with men in Australia are HIV positive. 
That's wow. That's amazing. One in every quite high, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it does. I'm not sure how old that statistic is. Um, and 1% of intravenous drug users, which seems quite low. Mm, yeah, I feel like um, those would be flipped in my mind. There you go. <laughs> I would have thought so too, actually. Anyway, mm. um, internationally in 2017, I'm just going to throw some big stats at you. Whatever six of the wall can stay, whatever doesn't, let it go. But there's 36.7 million people at the end of 2016 living with HIV, which is 0.8% of the global population. And 70% of them are in sub-Saharan Africa. 2.1 million under 15 years. There's 1.8 million new infections per year, but this has declined by 16% per year since 2010, largely due to kind of large-scale antiretroviral therapy programs. Um, but there's a lot of kind of inequality in what's happening. So, um, for example, in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, you've got ha- actually had um, an increase in incidence by 60% over those last few years. Mm. Only about 60% of people in the world with HIV know their status, and there's about 21 million currently on antiretroviral therapy. But in the year 2000, there was only under 1 million. Okay, so we're treating people better, and it seems in some places the incidence is going down. Yeah, so that's kind of the main point here. So basically, incidence and mortality of HIV are decreasing, together with the you know, increased antiretroviral medications. But prevalence is still rising. There's still young people getting it and people living longer with HIV. Yeah, so, well, the mortality is going down. So I guess you know, people with HIV are living longer and add to that prevalence statistics. Cool. Yeah, a bit of a, yeah. How does one get HIV? That's, I'm impressed by all of this. How would I go about getting HIV? <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny question. <laughs> not quite sure why you're so interested, but anyway. So usually it's spread through sex. So over 80% in Australia and... Um, in Australia, overall, 70% of new diagnoses in 2013 were from men who had sex with men. And I guess the important point here is what kind of sex you have has a big impact on your risk of getting HIV from a sexual encounter. So if you have receptive anal intercourse with someone who's HIV positive, you've got about a 1 in a 1.4% chance. All these are ob- obviously estimates. No one's doing RCTs here. <laughs> Um, and if you're inserting, then it's about 0.1%. And penile vaginal intercourse is estimated to be less than 0.1%. And it's actually, if you're the female receiving the... Um, <laughs> the, the, the penile. The penile. <laughs> then your chance is much higher than the male delivering the penile. So in whatever, in whatever context, <laughs> receptive <laughs> is the Re- high risk. Receptive is much higher risk, yeah. Uh-huh. You can also get it by blood transfusion, shared needles... Um, occupational fluid exposures or quite often in the world um, perinatally through pregnancy Mm. and then there's two types of hiv hiv1 which has multiple subtypes and then there's hiv2 which is what fairly new right or at least it's newer than hiv1 and it's only found really in west africa yeah and they were were separate i think they were separately transmitted across from monkeys to different species okay that's interesting. So yeah. different wings of the CIA involved yeah. in transmitting that one across. Yeah, your, your theory gets more complex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so moving on to talking about the demographics and the social stigma. I guess one of the big things, Scott, if I'm not mistaken, is now treatable disease. And like you said, there's a decreasing mortality. Do they have a normal life expectancy yet? Yeah, it's thought to be near normal. Like if you take, if you properly adhere to your medications and things like that, which yeah. is really cool. And I guess, you know, just from a sociological point of view, it's always been sort of associated with, uh, you know, marginalized and discriminated against groups like the LGBT community, um, lower socioeconomic people, drug users, and then scientists 
We've always been traditionally marginalised <laughs> CIA scientists. <laughs> CIA. So, okay. um, but yeah, so it, you know that's something to consider in caring for all of your patients. And there's a whole bunch of myths that go along with that sort of stuff. Um, various South African presidents have attempted to shower to rid themselves of HIV yeah. after sex. And well, they haven't done the RCT yet on that. So yeah. <laughs> Look, maybe evidence is still out. That's why he's a president. He's a trailblazer. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in Australia... Most of the new diagnoses are from men who have sex with men. Is that right? Yeah. So it's still um, a disease which disproportionately affects the men who have sex with men community, unfortunately. Okay. Well, let's get into a little bit more scientific CIA type stuff, the virology and the pathophysiology. So what type of virus or how can I classify HIV in my mental library? Yeah. So HIV is a retrovirus. So if you think back to high school biology, you remember how you had... DNA going to RNA, going to proteins. It was kind of this one-way kind of thing. And HIV kind of does the opposite. It's a retrovirus which kind of reverse transcribes RNA back into DNA mm. and then uses that to make its new viral molecules and things. So it sort of sews its own code into your molecular machinery. Um, and then yeah, that's use, it. Yeah. yeah. So what's, I mean, there's a bunch of steps involved in all of this i presume um or is it just one step <laughs> <laughs> one step hiv <laughs> yeah. uh like what sort of steps I think, do you go yeah i think it's a bit intimidating when you first hear about it but but it's worth knowing because it kind of helps you think about the different drug classes of antiretrovirals that treat it so the first thing hiv the virion it's a little particle it's got its outer lipid membrane and that's covered with gp120 proteins which are like little lollipops Delicious, sticking up. delicious HIV lollipops. <laughs> delicious, juicy lollipops. Yeah. Don't lick them. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, that's how they get you. And then um, inside that, you've got the protein capsid layer, which is kind of a little kind of seed-looking thing. Mm. And then within that, you've got the, um, the HIV RNA and a few other of the proteins and enzymes that it needs to do its thing. So basically, the first step is binding. So the HIV virions kind of going around and it, bumps into a host cell which has a CD4 marker and the GP120 protein binds to the CD4 molecule and they're usually on helper T cells or macrophages. So that's important, I guess, because those are the cells that are, you, know, you lose when you have a raging HIV infection. Yeah, and um, helper T cells are some of the most important cells in the immune system. So. so in terms of that binding step, are there any drugs that work there you mentioned? Yeah, well, there's a co-receptor called um, CCR5, and there's another one called CXCR4. But anyway, CCR5 is the main one, and CCR5 inhibitors work against that, so they stop the HIV virion binding Mm. to the host cell. I think we don't use those as much, especially not in first-line therapy, but it's interesting to know. So what's step two, Scott? Step two, fusion with the lipid membrane. So think little bubble, big bubble. The lipid membrane of the virus kind of comes into contact with the big host cell lipid with daddy bubble membrane daddy bubble mm-hmm. <laughs> back to the mothership <laughs> <laughs> and then fusion inhibitors work against that step mm. and that's another one that you don't really see too often do you not as often as some of the other ones that we'll talk about next so the next step is kind of the key step the reverse transcription so the virus turns its um, rna into viral dna and that's with the um reverse transcriptase enzyme and which drugs work on that role? I'm going to say the nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, just off the top of my head. Yeah, good. And any other ones? Non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. Wow, good yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. 
played this game before. Yeah, putting in the money, yeah. putting in the time. Yeah. So those ones are like workhorses of the HIV treatment world. So nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors and non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors usually will form you know, a big part of your first-line therapy. Yeah, that's right. So the next step is integration of that new viral DNA goes into the host cell nucleus and it integrates it, as Rahul said before, kind of sews it in to the host DNA. And I'm guessing we have a drug class that works here because we're just so yeah. smart. So integration, integrase inhibitors. Okay. And those are also pretty big as well, aren't they? Not as big as your NNRTIs or your NRTIs, but pretty big. Yeah, pretty big. Pretty big. <laughs> All right. So next step, replication. So that newly sewn in viral DNA in the host cell starts producing all these kind of long chains of viral proteins, which... It's kind of like your Lego. You're building blocks that you can then maybe one day, if you're a good boy, make a virus out of. Yeah, Lego, mm. pasta sheets. Mm. Pick your analogy. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you like. Sorry, did I go in a different direction from you on that one? No, Lego works equally well. Right. I, was, I, I, I think just the key point here is you've got these big long things and then in a later stage you kind of cutting them at fixed points. They become kind of the, like the functional enzymes that mm-hmm. the virus will be using. So I presume your next step is going to be something about assembly. Yeah. So next assembly. So you've got these packages of all these different virus proteins and they go to the surface of the cell and form immature virions kind of ready to go. And last step, I'm guessing this thing needs to Shawshank Redemption at the hell out of this cell. Yeah. And, uh, get out of there. Budding. budding. So step seven, budding the buds kind of, with the surface, you've got the little bubble back in back to the mother bubble yeah. and then bubbling out, going its way. And I'm imagining the mother bubble sheds a couple of tears here <laughs> just seeing her little bubble go off to school to yeah. infect other mothers all around the world. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's not push this too far. <laughs> but the key part of this step is also that you've got these proteases inside the um, HIV um, virion that um, cut these kind of these pasta sheets or these Lego building blocks at kind of certain points. And that creates all the mature proteins that the HIV needs to do its we, business. Can we shut this little bubble down there? Can we shut this bubble's party down there? <laughs> we can. We often do. Yeah. <laughs> party poopers. Party protease poopers. inhibitors. Another big one. So the big three there, and we'll talk more about treatment later, are the nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors and the non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, the integrase inhibitors, and the protease inhibitors. All right, so back to John. He's very nervous and he says, so I'm sick with HIV. Do I have AIDS? Am I about to die? Should I write my will and dedicate all my belongings to the Lower Stonington Municipal Library, which everyone knows is the best? Let's, uh, let's talk about, tell me about HIV pathophysiology and clinical course a bit more. Um, and then we can come back maybe to what AIDS means to answer John's question. How's that sound? Uh, answer him fairly. So um, we'll probably repeat ourselves a bit because it's, I don't know, a few different concepts and different ways of looking at it. But Basically, if you're thinking about a HIV infection, you often get initial infection from a single virus, and we call that the wild-type virus. And to understand it, if you've got untreated HIV, you get the viral load slowly increasing over a number of years, and you get a fall in your number of CD4 T cells. And then as that um, load goes down, you get progressively more infections and opportunistic infections and really severe immunosuppression. I mean, pretty much below 200. 200 of your CD4 count. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the key number to think about. And in the past, that's when they started antiretrovirals, but now we start them a bit earlier, as we'll chat about. And I'll just talk about this quickly because it's a pretty complicated topic, but basically you've got a dominant strain of the HIV at any time, but you've got all these different little mutant HIV viruses living in you because that reverse transcription process is really prone to errors. So you've got what they call a genomic library of all these different kind of slightly differently mutated HIV viruses in you with different 
mutations that sometimes give them resistance to different um, antiretrovirals, and that's why they can get resistance over time. Yeah, so it's basically as soon as you get natural selection pressure, just like we all learned in high school, then one of the other ones takes over that's mutated to deal with that, and then it takes over. So you've got a new yeah. kind of HIV in there. Exactly, it's like a whole ecosystem or like mm. whatever you want to call it. The and Galapagos. The Galapagos, <laughs> yeah, your body is a Galapagos. That's the plural of Galap- Galapagosii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you heard it here. There you go. <laughs> it's a bit of learning for your head. So... And but if you, we don't normally now just watch people get worse and worse HIV. Most people will be treated with antiretrovirals. <laughs> the ones we like get treated. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, well, you know, thirty percent of the people in the world still aren't being treated. But there you go. Um, and if you treat now, you can actually get CD4 count recovery. So the viral load goes down, hopefully to um, suppress levels. CD4 count starts coming up, and they get their kind of immune system kicks back in. Okay, so it's got. It's all good. You're living up in the clouds there with all your, your ID stuff. But why don't you tell me about the actual clinical features of acute HIV? So someone who presents just after having gotten the infection. Is there a way I can tell? So it's a really non-specific syndrome, but you've got this acute HIV illness. About 50 to 90% of people get it, but a lot of people don't even notice because it's just this really non-specific viral kind of illness. Most of them have fever. They've got lymphadenopathy, pharyngitis, rash. Sometimes they've got myalgias, arthralgias. So sounds a bit like... You know, glandular fever, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, and that just sort of goes away without them being treated, I presume? Exactly, and then they can be asymptomatic for many years. Okay, what about if someone comes back a bit later, and is there anything that can tell me, like, hey, this guy might have untreated HIV that I'm not aware of, that he's had for ages? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a continuum between kind of, um, I guess, HIV with kind of a pretty normal CD4 count, and then when you get kind of a severe AIDS kind of syndrome when you're getting tons of crazy opportunistic infections. But over time, you can have some of these chronic symptoms like loss of weight, chronic diarrhea, different rashes, fevers. You can get ulcers, um, hairy leukoplakia, gingivitis. You can get kind of pancytopenias, lots of funny symptoms. You can get um, uh, kind of different neuropathies, sensory neuropathies. So it's really nonspecific little things that can bubble up over time. Okay, so I guess if you saw someone who had this constellation of strange symptoms like continuous dermatitis or like uh, lots of oral ulcers and lots of like white tongue sort of stuff, uh, then you might be like, well, this might be someone who's had HIV that hasn't been treated. Yeah, and especially with like a lot of weird kind of neurological signs, we'd sometimes investigate them for HIV. You get some pretty atypical kind of stuff. Okay. I guess along with syphilis as well, be another good one to kind of... Thinking back to clinical me, yeah. wizard hat. Yeah. You listen to Scott's Wait, syphilis podcast if you're really <laughs> curious about his syphilis. Um, so, <laughs> about my syphilis. <laughs> so there are AIDS-defining illnesses. Now, I know uh, that was back from when I was in med school. Is this still a thing? What are we? What's going on here? Well, I guess like what's really cool about HIV is that in over the last generation, we've kind of almost cured it. Like we can now treat it to the point where the life expectancy is almost normal. So. In the past, when people, we had this kind of clinical syndrome called AIDS, where they've either got their CD4 count below 200, so they're severely immunosuppressed, or they've got an opportunistic infection, infection, which we say by them having that shows that their immune system is really crap. AIDS stood for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, sorry, by the yep. way. Was, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That which was, is basically... That's, means that's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that your immune system is shot. Um, so it was a term used back then to sort of say, you've crossed this, this bridge and now you are in the system... Of not having a system yeah. of the immune variety. Yeah, over the river sticks yeah. in the yeah. in the bad town. Yeah. Um, but now that 
our antiretrovirals are getting better and better. We can actually, we don't, well, I've heard ID physicians say that we don't talk about AIDS as much anymore because mm. previously this syndrome, which was irreversible, now if you treat people, often their CD4 counts can improve and they can kind of come back out of it. But so that's pretty cool with a K. Yeah, it's very cool. Mm. So what is what were some of the AIDS-finding illnesses? So I guess, despite, you know, whatever PC jargon, these ID, these lefty ID physicians trying to push on us, there are some infections associated. That, that was a joke, by the way, for anyone who thinks I am <laughs> actually a right-wing guy yeah, who supports yeah, the stigmatization of people with AIDS. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. it's very, very kind of open-minded and yeah. fair and balanced. I was like, very Fox News. Uh, yeah. Very uh, after your kind of idols. <laughs> So there are certain um, infections that I'd like traditionally, like when you hear them, I mean, the main thing is you hear these in an MCQ in med school or even, you know, in physicians and they're trying to get you to think about AIDS because they're so associated with HIV on this. So what are some of the like classic bangers on that front? So let's just run through some word associations. So there's, it's a big long list. You don't have to remember them all, but some of the big ones. So I'll say one, you say one. All right, yeah. here we go. TB. TB. <laughs> Not the same one. Uh, <laughs> cryptococcal meningitis. Yeah. Toxoplasmosis. MAC, Mycobacterium avium complex. PJP, previously PCP. Yeah, which is Pneumocystis gerovichii pneumonia. Yep. Uh, recurrent pneumonias. Yeah, so you can get there. recurrent pneumonias. And you can also get kind of infections that other people get, but in an atypical place. Like you can get a CMV retinitis, or you can get um, herpes. Herpes of the old lungs. Yeah, herpes of the lungs. Or like a HIV encephalopathy or... Yeah. HIV of. encephalopathy, I feel. <laughs> one that's fairly easy. <laughs> fairly typical in yeah. non-HIV patients, um, yeah. Kaposi sarcoma is a, is a common one. That's a skin disease, skin cancer that is associated extremely highly with HIV. Yeah, so, lymphoma as well is another big malignancy. I think to know, the thing to know about that is that there are certain illnesses that are really associated with HIV and yeah, there's we'll a lot of them. Yeah, so the next thing, we'll just talk about this really briefly, but... Um, this is another kind of exciting thing about whether HIV might be able to be cured. So there was this guy called the Berlin patient, born in 1966, diagnosed with HIV in 1995. In 2006, he got AML. And then they treated him with an allergenic stem cell transplant with someone who had this special gene called CCR5. And they were homozygous for it. And remember how we talked about um, this protein, CCR5? It's one of the ones that it uses to hook into the cell, right? Yeah, so if you got... Um, most strains of HIV and you have this kind of gene mutation, you're very resistant to it. So after this guy got this bone marrow transplant with this from this donor, he actually seems to have been cured. Mm. He's had um, suppressed viral levels and he's been off More importantly, antiretroviral Magic therapy Johnson since then. Got HIV ages ago and don't they talk about Magic Johnson from the NBA having cured himself or at least having an undetectable viral load? naturally oh, that's cool maybe he falls into this elite controller current oh, maybe had a shower or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, anyway yeah. so there's i think the whole point of that diatribe was that uh yeah there's these people called elite controllers yeah. who can I control work their the cia and they <laughs> work at the cia and they also control their hiv viral load <laughs> through not entirely understood mechanisms and sometimes even off antiretroviral therapy so the point being that you know, there's Many hope years. for some sort of cure there. We're seeing some sort of people in the population who, for whatever reason, are able, fairly resistant to the virus. So you know, things are ongoing in that space. And they're trying to make a vaccine, but they haven't had that much success so far. They've been mucking around in Thailand. Mm. But All right. Well, we've been mucking around in this podcast. Why don't you just give me a real brief <laughs> summary of what we've actually been talking about for the last couple of minutes, clinical features-wise, of HIV? 
Okay, so acute HIV, think non-specific viral illness, one to two months post-infection, often unrecognized. Mm -hmm. Chronic progression of a raising viral load and lowering CD4 over years without treatment, which means your immune system slowly just gets shot as more HIV replicates in you. Yeah, and there's got these many chronic features. You're thinking kind of oral thrush, susceptibility to infections, chronic diarrhea, loss of weight, non-specific symptoms. So if you don't treat someone's HIV, it used to progress to this AIDS thing, or it does progress to AIDS still, and that's signified by a low CD4 cell count, which is less than 200, or an opportunistic infection. And the classics are PCP, pneumonia, cryptococcus, toxoplasmosis, and TB. But treated, you can stop your AIDS and even recover from it to get a normal CD4 count. Yeah, and HIV, just to jump back even further, is it's, an, it's a virus that infects T helper lymphocytes and macrophages via CD4 receptors. And those two together are called CD4 cells. And it's like one of the key markers we use of how impaired someone's immune system is in HIV, their CD4 count. Yeah, so we talked about binding, fusion, reverse transcription, integration, replication, assembly, and budding. And you're probably not going to remember it from hearing it once, but just go and look it up. There's some really nice diagrams. Thanks for that, actually. Very diagrams. colorful. Yeah. Let's get back to John. What's that guy doing? He's probably still in the library. So John's... Sex party. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. Or both. You know? Yeah. Um, so John tells you... So John's a bit flustered at all this. And he says he also works part-time as a pathology nurse. And he got a needle stick injury last year from a patient he thought might have HIV. Do you think that the sauna was not to blame? Look, I'm going to abstain, seeing as you know that I have a business interest in that sauna, John. So <laughs> let's just move on. Yes, so there's a 0.3% risk from an isolated needle stick. Hmm. Um, so testing. So you probably heard about Western blot, but don't worry about it anymore. It's kind of going out of fashion. We're getting better tests. So the main blood test that you asked for is a HIV antibody immunoassay, which is an ELISA test, and a P24 antigen and it's usually detectable within two weeks of infection, and it's got a specificity around 99.6%, a sensitivity over 99.5%. Pretty damn good test. And if that's positive, you then do a couple of other confirmatory tests, which we won't talk about much, but basically you do further antibody testing, you work out which whether it's HIV-1 or HIV-2, and you can do a nucleic acid amplification test. Um, so, time-lapse appointment, you go into the future, John has a positive HIV antibody ELISA and P24 antigen. Johnny boy. Yeah. So you've made John has HIV. You've done the confirmatory I, I test. I made John have HIV. <laughs> Again, it. going well, back to my own business interest. <laughs> that is slander and libel, sir. All right. Uh, we'll leave that aside. So what other investigations would you do? So I guess always check for other sexually transmitted infections. Um, then you want to check the viral load of the HIV to see you know, how much HIV he has in his blood. Um, you can do a CD4 cell count, which again is sort of your little marker of how good their immune system is and how much the HIV has affected the immune system. And you can test for latent TB as well, um, which interlaces with HIV a little bit. All right, so counseling is really important. So you want to counsel them about the importance of using contraception, um, avoiding anal sex, or um, and notifying their sexual partners, depending on the legal framework of where you live. Um, also avoiding things like blood transfusion, sort of it's pretty straightforward. And of course, psychological counselling and support services for those who are newly diagnosed. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big um, diagnosis, a lot of mm. stigma. Um, vaccinations are super important. So you want to vaccinate them against streptococcus, um, HPV, um, consider varicella zoster. Just be careful with live vaccines. They're generally not appropriate. And MMR, only if they're CD4 is over 200. Hopefully they've had them when they were younger. So monitoring. So you also want to test for hepatitis C annually. Um, 
check for osteoporosis if they've got risk factors if they're on um, antiretrovirals that can cause kidney problems like tenofovir you can do a six to 12 monthly urinalysis and I guess the other key point is about prophylaxis so depending on how low their CD4 count is you want to give them some prophylaxis against some common HIV infections so rule which infections <laughs> rule which infections <laughs> would you want to cover <laughs> um so one that I always, I mean, I see patients on Bactrim, which I think is for covering uh, pneumocystis pneumonia, pneumocystis carinii pneumonia. Yeah, that's right. And also gives some toxoplasmosis coverage. Oh, so what level of CD4 count would I, do I just give that to all patients with HIV? Usually when they drop below 200. Okay. And the other one is MAC, Mycobacterium avium complex. And they usually give that when their CD4 is below 50. Oh, wow. Okay. So azithromycin and their CD4 counts below 50. I didn't know that they prophylacted against that one. Mm, they like their prophylacting. Yeah. <laughs> so what it's, you mentioned earlier, there's like kidney disease associated with some of the drugs and also just with HIV itself. You mentioned osteoporosis. What other like non-infectious complications of HIV and the therapy is there? Well, I think this is a bit of an emerging area as we turn HIV into a fatal diagnosis to kind of a chronic disease that we're managing. But there's this concept called immune activation. And um, even patients with long-term HIV infection that don't have a low CD4 count yet, there's evidence of kind of premature aging and a lot of damage to different organ systems. And that's thought to be due to kind of this long-term kind of baseline activation of the immune system through different mechanisms, including them having a leaky gut with all this microbial translocation. They've got kind of immunosenescence of their immune cells and all these different things. It's kind of an emerging area. The big area thing you hear about it is kind of your favorite area. My little toy, yeah. Your uh, little zone, Raul. Yeah, yeah. Cardiovascular accelerated atherosclerosis is a particularly big problem in HIV. And yeah, I guess I get diabetes and things like that as a result of the drug as well. So, mm. yeah. But a lot of different kind of non-specific things. It can present with almost anything. You can get all these funny kind of peripheral neuropathies or... Um, yeah, so it's pretty non-specific. Yeah, kind of keep your keep your eyes open for atypical HIV presentations. We had one with uh, mania. Oh That's yeah, what I was working with. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, cute mania. So what's going on with John? Speaking of Mannix, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you got against John. He's a respectable accountant. <laughs> He's uh, so, slandering <laughs> my business. <laughs> So we, again, fast forward to getting some results back and his viral load is 65,000, his CD4 count is 650 and he's negative for syphilis, hepatitis, gonorrhea. John's anxious, but he's, you've developed this great rapport over the years with him and he's ready to start his treatment. So what are we going to do? Yeah, so I guess uh, we got to help John um, you know, as much as some of us might not want to and then we got to prevent transmission um, of his HIV to everyone. So when do we treat people with HIV? We just whack on some treatment for everyone? That's a really good question because it's kind of changed a lot over the last few years. So in the past, we'd, um, people would kind of watch people's CD4 counts and when it got below a marker like 200, people would often start antiretroviral therapy. That's doctors, not just people in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but now they did this trial, really important, called the START trial in 2015, which randomized a big group of people into either um, giving antiretrovirals to people to everyone, or just giving them to people once the CD4 count dropped below 350. So either like watch and start treating after they've gotten worse and bad enough, or just kick them off straight away. Yeah. And who won the game? Well, I actually found that just starting it for everyone actually helped. Yeah. What and sort of benefits did they get out of it? So they got a lot of kind of HIV-related... Um, there was a big reduction in HIV-related outcomes. Mm. Um, 
That's seems appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what you'd want for that yeah. kind of study. But there's a bit of controversy about the results and to which groups it applies to. So you'll see different things in different guidelines. Yeah. So from what I'm aware of right now, it's it's still some people are treating as the CD4 counts go down. Some are just starting them straight away. I think there's probably a lot more sophistication to this as well if you're an ID physician who's doing this. But from my point of view, that's how yeah, simple everything uh, is. If they don't know any more than me, they probably... <laughs> that worries me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say we've decided to treat our boy, John. Uh, how do we go ahead and do that? So, um, as we talked about before, you've got all these different classes and the HIV virus loves to mutate. So, you, you need to treat with at least three agents from two different classes. Okay. So, you normally start with two nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, as far as I'm aware, and then you can add a third agent in, which can be sort of from any of the main ones. That Those were protease inhibitors, integrase inhibitors, or nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. There's also another class uh, which contains two drugs, which are called the boosters, and they basically alter the pharmacokinetics of all the other drugs and mean that their concentrations are higher, so you use them in other uh, regimes and the two examples or the two main ones are cobesistat and ritonavir. So essentially, all of this is probably going to be done by HIV specialists, I guess, unless you're in a really resource limited area. Um, and adherence is super important in this uh, in this context. So, what? How do I know if the treatment's working, Scott? So can you just put everyone on these drugs and then just ignore them, or? No, so the really important thing to measure is to monitor their viral load. So you monitor over time and long term you're aiming for suppression of their viral load. So usually it'll be below the sensitivity of your um, assay. So usually you'll be aiming for under 50 or under 20. Undetectable essentially. Yeah, but within a couple of months, you should also have a really big fall. Okay, cool. In and then load. in terms of, we spoke a bit more about prophylaxis earlier, but there's pre-exposure and post-exposure prophylaxis, which essentially, if I'm not mistaken, Scott, are just combination of antiretroviral therapies that you take for like 30 days around like a high-risk exposure yeah yeah uh, are there any other crazy things we need to know about treatment or any other little yeah i guess this is kind of a bit off in the weeds as davo would say mm. but <laughs> if you want to sound smart on an id ward round you can talk about checking their hlab 5701 allele to check if they've got a if they've got if they're positive for that they've got a high risk of a bacavir hypersensitivity reaction which one of the drugs they use and the other really important thing is there's a lot of um, drugs which interact with um, antiretrovirals. So do you know some of them, Rob? So I know there's a lot of them. Uh, antacids, um, PPIs, multivitamins, those sort of things. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's essentially a pretty long list, right? Yeah, that's why it's pretty important that they see a HIV specialist who kind of knows about a lot of these little, little tricky extra bits yeah. that are hard to remember. So, I've heard of this thing called IRIS, Immune Reconstitution Inflammatory Syndrome, Scott. Can you tell me what it is? Yeah, so what it kind of is, is someone with advanced HIV has these kind of bubbling infections that their body's not really attacking and all these antigens sitting around. And then when you treat their HIV infections, starting them on antiretrovirals, they can have this acute syndrome with a worsening of that disease. So depending on the kind of disease, you can get symptoms specific to that. But often it has a fever... If you have TB, you can get worsening of your pulmonary infiltrates and kind of dyspnea and things like that. Um, you can get an encephalitis if it's varicella zoster virus. You can get retinitis and even blindness if it's CMV. So it's kind of something to think about. So reactivation of just those underlying viruses that can sit quietly and stalk yeah, their prey. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> um, and I think one of the big things on this is that if someone has one of those meningitis bugs, i.e. like 
cryptococcus or tuberculosis, which can affect the meninges. Those guys can have a really bad reaction, get a, like fulminant meningitis when they get started on their HIV treatment due to this iris, immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome. Yeah, 20% mortality. So again, chat with people who know a lot about it. So there's a lot, you've told me a lot of things, Scott, and I don't really know what you're talking about. So can you summarize it for me in three key points? All right, three key points. <laughs> treatment of HIV. Guidelines vary, but generally start treatment early with a combination ARV to avoid resistance developing in the patient. Uh, it's really important to screen for other STIs and control cardiovascular risk factors. Remember, it's a chronic disease now and monitor them for side effects of the antiretrovirals. And it's always also important to be aware of iris. So watch out. Immune react, which is when your body attacks all these antigens of these infections it's been ignoring. And um, so sometimes specialists can even delay treating the HIV if someone presents with one of these opportunistic infections that can until that's treated first so you don't yeah. know that there. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about drug resistance. When do you test for resistance and how like what would be a sign that there is resistance? So you usually test when you first diagnose someone and then you'll test them if they have treatment failure. Okay. And if there's treatment failure do you just stop them before before you test them for resistance or do you like stop all the treatment or do you just keep going? No, it's really important that you keep going because you want to see which kind of um, mutations are in the dominant virus when... When the treatment is on. So, yeah. Yeah, when the treatment's on. So, because um, resistance develops really quickly with monotherapy and when you take people off antiretrovirals, they'll actually revert back to the wild-type virus. Interesting. As Interesting. a dominant virus in their system. Yeah. All right. And can you just test for resistance any at any point in time? Like, can I test for resistance in someone who has no viral load or does they need to have some virus around? No, got to have some virus around. It needs to be over 500 with current testing. Seems to make sense. Don't know why we need to really point that out, but there you go. Um, are there any special cases for treatment? Yeah, so pregnancy. What do you think? Do you whack them up with some drugs? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> 25% risk of inf- um, transmission from um, pregnancy, mm. from a mother to a, a fetus, which presumably hasn't otherwise encountered HIV. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's brief existence. existence in male sauna. That's our next market. Um, all right, what about concurrent hepatitis B? Yeah, well, I think that kind of changes around the antiretrovirals you can use because some of them, like tenofovir, also have action against the hepatitis B. So you can sort of double up and treat two conditions with one stone of antivirals. Yeah. yeah. What happened to John? Get us back to the John. What happened to John? So you referred him to a HIV specialist. You helped screen him for other STIs. You checked him for cardiovascular risk, renal function. You started him on combination antiretroviral therapy. Give me a combination, Raul. What you got? One of the classic bangers. So everything kind of starts <laughs> off with m and tenofovir in Australia. And then we chose to add in efavirance because it sounds, I like the name, efavirance. <laughs> efavirance. Yeah, it's a very good clinical indication there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you continue to see John regularly. He suffers no side effects from the medications. He hears them very well. And he continues to live happily, running volunteer walkathons producing important documentation to the local historical society about architectural taste in the latter third of the 1930s in the Stonington area. And does he continue with sex parties? Maybe that's none of my business. <laughs> Maybe he's just gone to another male sauna and I should just forget about it and not be sour about losing that business. Yeah. 
That's all right. You'll find other customers, Raul. They'll, was, they'll come. He was special. Build and they will come. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess as per usual, we've gone too long. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Scott and I's chemistry. I know I certainly have. Yeah, it's been... Um, oh. <laughs> there's a male sauna around the corner. We can explore this chemistry <laughs> some more. I think 161 is still probably yeah. away, so. <laughs> um, so take home points. HIV is a retrovirus that mainly infects CD4 helper T-cells and reverse transcribes its RNA into the host cell using its molecular machinery to produce copies of itself. So it presents with an acute viral syndrome, a little bit like glandular, and then untreated with HIV, you'll get the viral load slowly increasing over time and the CD4 counts dropping. And treated with combination ART and good adherence, um, you can actually get a normal life expectancy. And now you need to start watching out for some of those chronic diseases like diabetes and accelerated cardiovascular disease in HIV patients. So if you can give us one piece of life advice that's based on your fable of John, Scott, what would it be? <laughs> fable of John. So I think, you know, contraceptives are pretty important. So I guess the take home would be jacket up your John. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, jacket up your John. Uh, now, look, we've been getting a bit more action on the Med Conversations Facebook page, which we always love. Love a good rating as well. So if you're going to give us five stars after listening to this beautiful HIV cast, we would... <laughs> if you, would you think really it's worth five it. stars, yeah. I'll just pretend. Just pretend. That's fine. <laughs> we, we'll take that. We, we also <laughs> welcome any hate mail against Davor. And yeah, if you want to yeah. write to me personally and tell me how you don't like Davor, that's... I will post it. I'll deliver it from my mouth and pretend that I thought up these brilliant insults. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. And Cheers. Yeah.